So last night I came across, well, first, let me say this. Christ is risen. Risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Now, last night I came across a really fascinating story about the royal mummies of Egypt being paraded through the city of Cairo because they were being moved from one museum to another that was three miles away. Have any of you seen this story? Uh, Zoe? Yeah? So there were 22 of these mummies, and each of them had their own special vehicle with their name on them. One of them was Ramses the Great, the most celebrated pharaoh of Egypt. He's believed to have been the pharaoh during the story of Exodus. He lived to be in his 90s, and it's estimated he had over 100 children. Here's the really interesting part to me. In the 1970s, they recognized that his remains were threatened by a fungus. So they needed to ship him to Paris for special treatment. But to do this, they had to get him a passport. I'm serious. We don't have access to real images of the passport, but supposedly his date of birth for the passport was 1303 B.C., No day or month was listed. He got away with that. And his profession was listed as king, in parentheses, deceased. Another fun detail. Some of his hair was stolen while he was in Paris. And there was an attempt to sell it for thousands of euros, but the person was found out when they tried to sell it. It's a weird way to begin an Easter sermon, isn't it? But the contrast is very significant. What Christians do on Easter is very different from that parade. Those mummies give us a lot in terms of historical artifacts, but in terms of resources for living and for knowing what it means to be a human being in the world, they do not compare to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first thing that I want to say to you this morning is that this is true. You can believe this about Jesus. We're not here because of warm religious feelings that people have had in the past. Because of a good story that people began to tell and we just kept telling it because it makes us feel good. We are here because Christ died. He rose from the dead. And within the Bible story of the world, this makes sense of our lives. In one of the earliest Christian sermons, Peter reports the main elements of the good news about Jesus. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Another early apostle, Paul, describes the same events in almost the same exact way in a different place. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures. Jesus then appeared to individuals and to a large group, many of whom remained alive during Paul's writing. Don't miss this little aside in his letter. Many of the witnesses remained alive 
Some people think that the church somehow had this power to silence their objectors, to keep the hoax alive. That doesn't square with reality. The church was actually very weak. Its only power was the force of its conviction. Christ died and he rose from the dead as the means of the world's salvation. How do we know this today? Faith and belief in Christ in his resurrection can be difficult because it, it involves us relinquishing our own sense of control over our lives and over the world. It forces us to relinquish our sense of autonomy, that we belong only to ourselves. We even think that we are unique in our resistance to belief, that we have challenges others have not had. That early Christians didn't have such a difficult time believing, but they did. Faith for those early Christians came on the other side of great angst, grief, and fear. Did you hear the end of the gospel reading this morning? The women in the gospel story go to the tomb that first Easter morning, preoccupied with the thought of how they will remove a heavy stone. That stone is a symbol of death and the death that awaits all of us and our powerlessness against it. They are not looking for a miracle. They're just like us. Rather, we're just like them. And in case you are like me and you wonder if the gospel writers might tell the story this way uh, to pull the wool over our eyes, to somehow fool us by saying, it was hard for us too. <laughs> this is how much of a skeptic I am too. I, I want to ask these questions. It's not likely that the gospel writers would have given themselves an added barrier. Resurrection was already difficult enough to convince people of. But in a time when women were not trusted as reliable witnesses, that is who the authors use each and every time. A Greek philosopher named Celsus, he leveled an attack on Christianity's credibility for this reason. Who was it who saw this resurrection, he asked? A hysterical female. A lesser known detail about Celsus, soon after this, he mysteriously came down ill and his wife said she had no idea what happened. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <sighs> but seriously, in a time when people are talking about the need to lift up those who have been on the lower end of society, we should believe these women. We should start here. Christ rose from the dead. As a miracle, the resurrection is spectacular, and the evidence for it is as strong as it gets. You can believe this about Jesus. But it's actually, when we begin to look at it, not only as a grand display of supernatural power, but as the climax of the story of our own salvation, that the resurrection becomes the most compelling. The resurrection is not just a grand display of power. It is the story of your salvation. It's the world's salvation too, yes. But today, I'm speaking to you, to me, to myself. Jesus is alive. He is risen, and he is actively seeking you. 
Each of the four gospel writers tell their story with slight nuances. The way that perhaps four different people here would tell the same story with a different personality and a different emphasis. Matthew captures the majesty of it all. An earthquake rolls away the stone. The angels are these strong men. John captures the action as people run back and forth to the tomb. But Mark's story in comparison to these is in a way gentle, personal. The angel looks just like a young man. He captures each of the women's names, their fear-filled conversation on the way to the tomb, and their initial silence at the news. This is not just a story about them. It's a story about you too. About our lives in the world. About our response to God. It's about me. I want to point out two ways that Jesus is seeking you in his resurrection. He is actively seeking you. One is in prayer. The risen Jesus is seeking you in prayer. I've mentioned the women's conversation on the way to the tomb. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us? Then the next verse says, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very big. This isn't just a raw description of historical coincidences. Jesus' resurrection and everything that surrounds it are, are not one-offs in the course of our world. They are focus points. They reveal the nature of the world that we live in. They reveal that the world is not closed off to God, that Christ has brought heaven closer to earth. They are touching. In this instance, we see that the worry of the women matters to God. Jesus did not need the stone removed to be able to leave his tomb. His resurrected body has this spiritual quality to it, the ability to move beyond physical barriers. Once you believe in the resurrection, this is a cool thing. You can believe other crazy, wonderful things about the world. So it wasn't for him that the stone was removed. It was for the women, for those who struggle to believe, who need to see. Imagine life down the road for these same women. Any worry or concern that developed in their lives, whether it might be a health issue or a difficult husband or children, what do you think they do? In their minds, perhaps they remember their worry over that stone and then immediately looking up to see that the stone, the stone was rolled away. And the affirmation, it was very large. God does not shame us for the things that we see as large hurdles in life. He cares for us in those things. Prayer is about making known your concerns to God and listening, watching for his response. And the scriptures say that the risen Christ is already interceding for you. He knows what you need before you ask of him. But he's seeking you on his end through prayer, inviting you to respond and to seek him with whatever concern you have, no matter how big or small you think it is. Who will roll away the stone for us? 
And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Jesus is seeking you through prayer. He's inviting you to make your concerns known to him and see how he will respond to you. The loving concern that he has for you. Will you respond to him? Will you risk him not giving you an answer? If you don't even know whether you believe he's real, will you risk it? And present your concerns to him, the risen Christ. Another way that Jesus is seeking you is with the gift of courage. The gift of courage. Mark at least pauses his story with the women paralyzed in fear. They flee the tomb, they tremble, and they say nothing to anyone. Anyone who reads the gospel stories has a general idea of what happens, okay? There's no surprise ending. Jesus rises, but no one tells anyone. No, that, that's not the way it goes. We know what happens. Jesus meets the women. He gives them peace and the courage to move ahead. We know this. But Mark knows that many of us who read these stories are just like these women. We're stuck. We don't know how to move forward with God. And we don't know how to move forward with ourselves. We're paralyzed. So he pauses his story here so that we ask ourselves the question, what am I going to do with this news? What am I going to do with the risen Christ? Christ is risen to free us from sin, from death, and from all fear. Will I take the step to believe this? And walk in it. You know, the main way people talk about courage in our world today is as defying authority, breaking free of traditional boundaries and societal expectations, carving out my own identity on my own. The world says that is courage. Strangely, that's becoming the easy way forward. As one person said, when we stop believing in God, we don't begin to believe in nothing. We begin to believe anything. Courage has been and will be truly believing in the power of Christ's death and resurrection. Believing that he sets us free from ourselves. And he sets us free so that giving ourselves to him, we receive a stronger identity. A new one that can't be taken away from us. We're raised up with him and our lives become hidden in him, with him. And we're finally secure in the world. Christ is seeking us with a newfound courage, a moral and a spiritual courage to carve out a path in the world that is only found in following him. To believe and follow him in the power of his resurrection. Jesus is alive. He is risen. You can believe this. And you can also believe this part. He is actively seeking you. Won't you receive the courage that he desires to give you? Won't you receive the courage to step out in faith and believe in him? And turn from your own path 
and follow him. I'd like you to join me one more time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia.